Well, welcome back to the Social World Podcast. It's been a, a week or two, but I'm delighted now to actually uh, begin the process of uh, introducing the second in the ATII series of um, uh, tra- human trafficking, follow the money, uh, intelligence initiative. I spoke to, as you know, Larry Cameron recently, who set it up really nicely for tonight's guest, Matt Richardson, who is the Director of Investigations and Child Safety at ATII. Welcome to the program, Matt. Well, thank you, Dave, and thank you for having me. Okay, well, look, now, we've had a chat, hopefully, and um, I know there's so much to cover here, but um, you've listened a bit to what Larry said, and we're going to develop it from there, having thanking him for, if you you like, creating the base information for us. But listen, give us a quick for a quick rundown of ATII, if you could, for those that haven't perhaps had a chance to listen to Larry. Could you could we start off with that? Oh, certainly. Uh, the ATII is an American-based or U.S.-based NGO, but we operate in an international fashion. We follow money. We fight slavery. We encourage corporate responsibility. We work with a vast uh, array of partners from the financial industry, law enforcement and a large variety of other and fellow NGOs to it's affect enormous. social change. It's enormous, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to say, what do you do in the afternoons? But, I mean, good God, it's, it's such a vast task you've set yourself. Um, okay, taking it a little bit further then, your particular role within the organization, could you sort of tell us a bit about that? Oh, certainly. Um my role, I'm the Director of Intelligence and Child Safety. So on the intelligence side of my role, I instigate and I help coordinate complex uh, investigations, often uh, on an international scale, largely working directly with law enforcement partners and, and at times NGOs on operations that pertain to, in my world, mainly sex trafficking and uh, child exploitation or child sexual abuse material, CSAM. That would be an everyday part of my life or there or just thereabout mm-hmm. is uh, working on those operations and investigations and, and helping coordinate. On the child safety side, it's a new, um, it's exciting. Um, it's, it's a developing and new uh, initiative within the ATII, a new department, if you will, so we're going to be looking at child safety, and, and while we're still developing our overall strategic plan, the ultimate goal is to help protect kids, period, full stop. Mm-hmm. With that, we're looking at methods where we might be able to help with providing innovative education, which, as we know, is the best form of prevention that we have to date, as well as maybe ways that we might be able to support um, partners in the tech and uh, social media platforms and beyond on enhancing and improving existing trust and safety or trust and verification programs, which if you don't know, those are the programs that help protect kids from exploitation, grooming and sex trafficking online. No, absolutely. And um, we we have organizations in the UK, I know that uh, try and focus on that, but I mean, there's always, there's always sort of, it seems to me, an exponential growth in those that want to take advantage. And I rather suspect that you've, um, you would agree with me too, that with the Ukrainian war going on, it's like Christmas for um, organized crime, it, you know, in terms of the, the, the people who have been dislocated and are therefore very vulnerable and open to grooming as well. So 
in your case as well, children, obviously, but, you know, the general population seems to me very vulnerable because of it. Is, is that something you'd go along with? Uh, uh, certainly, it's uh, it's actually, if we think about it and just put ourselves in, in the other person's shoes, if we were fleeing a war zone with our beloved children who are vulnerable and hungry, we're scared, terrified, uh, and we make it out of the war zone, we're not being shelled anymore, we're not under direct threat of violence, Think about where your psyche would be and you're offered a ride by a smiling stranger further away from that war zone. Your immediate needs are to get away and get shelter and get food. And we aren't wired the same. So we are far more vulnerable, any one of us would be, to threats of exploitation under circumstances such as those. And in fact, anytime we see uh, moments of social, uh, societal upheaval, if it's a war zone or a conflict zone, if we think to the tsunami, even in Indonesia some years ago, where families were separated and similar things were happening there too, because why? Predators go to where there are potential victims and they know that those are right pools to hunt. And so I do, I do go along with that, Dave. I think it's a, a situation that's unfortunately ripe um, for exploitation by bad actors in society. Where it kind of dovetails for me a little bit, I've been trying to do some work here on the UK about this, is that in the last, say, two or three months alone, the Ukrainian refugees coming to the UK, um, I'm led to believe that well over 100 unaccompanied child refugees have disappeared within the UK. Um, Now, some of them will have run away. Some of them will have gone to see Manchester United's football ground, I don't know, or just not wanted to hang around. But many, I rather suspect, are in the hands of people that they shouldn't be. Um, And it's this kind of um, scooping up of vulnerable that must stretch law enforcement to the limit, I suspect. And therefore, you must see the results of, of their efforts to try and close that gap. Well, yes. And and one thing we know, um, if you think back to the 60s, you know, the Haight-Ashbury hippie years, people were running away to something. They Mm. wanted to go to Woodstock, like you mentioned, going to Man U to see the stadium. But we see more and more in in current, like currently the way we see things is people are running away from something. So that might be abuse at home. Mm. That might be uh, domestic violence taking place. That could be sexual or physical or psychological abuse. Um, It it could be uh, something like a a young person coming out as LGBTQ and being ostracized in a small community. They flee to a big community where they're accepted. What we do know, the studies vary, but a high percentage of those that run away and go missing end up in the hands of bad actors, be it sex traffickers, or people that seek to sexually exploit law enforcement has its hands more than full. The vast majority of them, I know I commend them because they're passionate, hardworking, but the volumes of this and the complexities with each case, it is not the easiest. It's a very difficult thing to investigate and the volume is rather high. It's a big challenge. No, for sure. I I know for a fact that the very, at the minimum, a quarter of a million children go missing every year in Europe. Um, and they're in the categories, you know, that people perhaps informally say, you know, some are runaways, some are throwaways, others are um, uh, uh, missing as a result of kind of um, non-custodial partners um, snatching them and so forth. Um, 
you know, who have had legal orders against them. And so the protection services are stretched to the limit in terms of actually how to protect um, the most vulnerable. I, I wonder if you could say a little bit about the ATII part of it, because, I mean, like I said, you, you've just outlined exactly as a child protection professional would, you know, I mean, where the where the, the kind of weak spots are. But tell us some of the this, this sort of work that you've been doing and, and, and some of the, the ways that you've been able possibly to measure change or have a success or something, because it's, it's it's all very well us talking of doom and gloom and millions of people and so forth. But I think you have had successes and it's really good to actually talk about some of the progress you've made. Well, certainly. I, well, the first thing I'll say is um, it, it, it's it's overwhelming <laughs> if we stop and think this happens in every community, in every state, every province, every county and every country and continent. And there's millions of this and tens of millions of that. It's going to overwhelm anyone. But um, pause. This is what I, I say this so much. I'm a broken record, David. Yeah. One child at a time, one predator, one trafficker at a time. So the math alone, a serial child offender can abuse up to 400 children in a lifetime. And then you ripple the effect through the families, the cousins, the parents, the siblings. Yeah. A trafficker, and we've seen this, can have easily dozens and more, if we're talking about an organized syndicate, of victims under their direct coercion at any given time. So we work with NGOs that help support um, victims on the recovery to become survivors and thrive after. But our direct role is more... We work with the um, our financial law enforcement and NGO partners to affect broader societal change, the values uh, at the high level. At the at the level of investigations, uh, we have a number of successes where we have been able to um, lead, coordinate, or otherwise participate in investigations where we have that have resulted in the apprehension and charges in incarceration of. Uh, sex traffickers of men, women, boys and girls, children, likewise with um, repeat violent child abusers that are no longer on the street. Uh, I can actually tell you uh, an example, if you like, Dave. Yeah, do so. Go ahead, please. Uh, I'll just pick one, and we do have a number of them, and I do have to omit certain details that are only for vetted law enforcement well, audiences. I think but people understand that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I can recall one um, in particular where uh, we worked from, basically we had like a, a username and the username was derived out of a, a, a Bitcoin or a, uh, like a blockchain transaction. Mm -hmm. We ended up with a username. So that's not a lot to go on. My direct area where I do direct investigations is dark web and open source intelligence or OSINT. So that's searching the clear web we use every day, Google, Facebook, and Instagram, and so on. But within a sh fairly short period of time, this username through the dark web, we were able to establish clear criminality. So they were a member of a violent child abuse um, ring that exchanged the most egregious forms of child sexual abuse material that there really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being in those forums is illegal to begin with, and then sharing and disseminating it is further illegal. It, and it turned out as we investigated further and further that this particular guy was also producing it. So 
Um, he was producing it in a different country uh, from where he lived, but he was producing this violent CSAM or child sex abuse material. Pivoting of the dark web into the clear web with open source intelligence in social media and Google and so on and so forth, we were able to work our way, our way to uh, like a positive identity on a person that had been a phantom or a ghost. Mm-hmm. He had been unabated for a period of time, abusing multiple children and producing CSAM and disseminating vast amounts of it. But now he had a face and a name and a city. We didn't get too excited because you never know what you don't know what you don't know, we say. But that particular man, we were right. And uh, upon the last time I looked, uh, his sentence had been confirmed uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 years federal penitentiary. So okay, good. forget the international, forget, you know, the, the, the overwhelming stuff. That's one man, Dave, who had been a repeat offender. So that means how many kids have justice now? They don't be afraid of him anymore because he's gone. He's identified. He's not a phantom. And he's out of society where he belongs. He's in prison. How many people was he currently abusing that the abuse stops? And how many people, how many kids would he have went on to abuse that never now will be? And that's how you have to look at it. No, that is, yes, of course. That's the only way to sleep at night sometimes is to actually remember that you've actually done something to prevent future abuse. Listen, Matt, let me ask you a question. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, in the UK, we have people, you probably worked with them, people like the Internet Watch Foundation and and so on, you know, who are, who are doing some of the things that you've been saying. But a lot of the child protection professionals, frontline people, for example, whether they're police officers or whether they're social workers or whatever, um, you know, have basic training, get, you know, and, and actually see things, do things, investigate things and are getting slowly better over the years. But they don't have the um, the knowledge that you're displaying in terms of in, in terms of digital safety or in terms of online safety or in terms of grooming in that respect on an international basis. Are there things that you could talk about? Because we've got about. 10 minutes left if you could talk just a little bit for about things that people could spot within their own professional lives that might help them give a clue that would actually help in your investigations you know what information should they be looking for maybe slightly up outside the normal day-to-day safeguarding kind of training well, I, you know, Dave, I'd, I'd say for our frontline workers, you, the, the info we work from is largely going to be digital in nature. So usernames, email addresses, phone numbers. So if, if you are reporting to us and you want some help figuring out, um, is someone being exploited or they're missing? Is there any way to figure out where they were? Um, anything in, uh, including usernames, email addresses, phone numbers, um, social media accounts, and any details about them, like nicknames or aliases they're known to use, all of those things help us um, go and do our part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so any and all of those things. But beyond that, it's a matter sometimes of spotting what might be. How do I know something's wrong? Well, yes. People, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it's like people like, well, I, I can't look at the device. How do I know? Well, we're missing the point. If something's wrong, if they're being a, a child's being exploited or sextorted, in other words, extorted to send nudes and things of that nature under threat mm-hmm. of having previous ones disclosed, 
um, if they're being trafficked. There's no one thing. It's really uh, totality of the circumstances. So some of the red flags, and you're going to see them in person. They will be like just you'll see them at the dinner room at the dining room table. You'll see them um, at your agency. You'll see them talking on the sidewalk. Are have they have a drastic change in their behavior, their personality? Do they go from being happy to being angry or quiet? Do they go from being outgoing to quiet? Have they gone? Have they changed their style of dress drastically? Now that might be they went from conservative dress to provocative, but if someone went from provocative to conservative, sometimes victims do that because they want to dress down to not look as attractive so they don't get abused anymore. Yeah. Tattoos yeah. and markings are a sign, but remember, people get tattoos. I have tattoos. I'm not being trafficked or or exploited. But when you start looking at a number of these things, like they went from being in class every day to missing a lot of class. They went from being outgoing to quiet. They went from being happy to angry or depressed. And you start to line up these check boxes. Those are indicators, especially collectively, that something might be wrong. It might not be exploitation or trafficking, but I will tell you that is an indicator of those things that you need to have a conversation with that kid. Absolutely. I mean, all the signs and symptoms that you mentioned are, are classic and I totally uh, think it's right for people to reflect on that as well. However, what I was going to ask you is that sometimes, and you'll know this from around the world, and not, I mean, in Western industrialized countries too, I mean, in UK, some police forces are perhaps more resourced than others in terms of looking at digital safety. Um, and so, for example, if a, a parent was worried about their child um, online, but, but didn't have the uh, ability or capacity, intelligence, whatever, to actually figure it out themselves or, or, or monitor it properly um, and approach the, the, say, the local police force or whatever, saying, you know, I'm worried my child's being exploited. Where do, you, where, where do you come in? Because it does sound like ATII are kind of dealing at a more... I don't know what the word would be, detailed, sophisticated, deeper level sometimes than, than your local police force might be able to to do in terms of you're just saying you dip, you dip into the dark web for a start, you know. Um, how, how would you link in to local police forces like that? Or how, how would you link in and let people know what resources and um, facilities you've got available to help them? Oh, certainly. Well, how we make our, how we raise awareness with law enforcement and our partners largely is through public speaking appearances, not unlike today on the podcast, Dave. Um, we do webinars, in-person training sessions. Some are for law enforcement. Some are open for the public. Some are specifically geared for NGOs or service providers to make them aware of who we are and what we can do. We don't directly do like um, Internet safety training for parents. Mm -hmm. We do investigative support and we do work again with financial partners and et cetera to affect like higher level change. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, look, law enforcement, sorry? No, no, go on, you finish it. And I'll ask you when we finished. Uh, law enforcement departments, uh, largely like when we're looking at here is more of a, a high, it's specialization. So they might have internet crimes against children units. Um, they're, the manpower is limited. They're expert and they're amazing. Uh, some of the best people I've ever met are internet crimes investigators. So when we report to local law enforcement, just be aware that they have to be prepared to answer domestic violence calls, um, assault charges, mm -hmm. can uh, pull over intoxicated drivers. They have to do everything. They can't specialize 
if we go to them, the best thing we can do, Dave, full stop, if I'm a parent and I'm worried my kid's being exploited online, stop, block, talk. I teach my kids, stop talking, block the person, but don't delete anything. Uh, yeah. Talk to a trusted adult and get help. When we go to the police, come with screenshots, be prepared to explain what's happening. Do have evidence if you can get it, like screenshots of messages or threats and things of that nature. Because police want to help, but we have to help them help us. No, I get you. I get you. So, yeah, I think I, I, I sent you up perhaps the wrong path there. But I, I, I listen, what I was really thinking is that on the hardware side, when the police sees um, hardware, you know, um, from a suspect, sometimes it takes months for it to be uh, scrutinized. Months, you know, and, and the person is just on a police bail kind of thing, if you understand what I'm saying in the UK. I don't know what the equivalent is in Canada, the States, whatever, but essentially, you know, that they're let out on license until it can be investigated properly. But that's months and months and months before they've actually got the staff available to look into what that person was doing on their computers. Um, it, it, it always seems such an under-resourced thing. So it leads me nicely. This is called a segue, as you know. It leads me nicely into asking you about a wish list to start with about the sort of things that you would like to see communities, countries, agencies, whatever, doing that you don't think is being done enough of at the moment. And I don't mean, like, obviously fantasy things like, you know, spending $50 billion on something or other, but, you know, just things that you know would improve things. And is it training, awareness raising, like you said? Is it engaging people from ATII to go and speak to organisations financial organizations, maybe with frontline facing staff, uh, whatever. But um, remembering that all of what you say, I'm going to put on the front page of our podcast with links to all the different places that we can. And obviously, we're going to do a follow up podcast as well. I think you're realizing that by now, Matt, don't you? I'm not going to let you get away with just the one. So um, could you sort of give us a bit of a wish list to start with? Yeah, certainly, Dave. And I, I know we're coming up on time, but I have a big three. Hmm. I would like to see my wish list would be across the world, more effective training and awareness that reflects the realities of the situation. Yeah. So I, I, I feel sometimes we we get sensational. We speak without having true knowledge. We focus on the wrong things and we're missing the opportunity to truly safeguard our children and communities. So I would like to see more effective education that's more reflective of the realities of the situation. That's one. Yeah. Number two, I would really like to see, we're seeing improvements. I'd like to see more partnerships and I, I mean, true partnerships. So NGOs and not-for-profits working together collaboratively with government and the private sector partners, including those in the tech industry, the social media platforms, working collectively for the greater good. We all do our own pieces exceptionally well. And if we bring the thing together, we can hit all lanes and do so with excellence. That's number two, more yeah. partnerships. Mm -hmm. My third and final one, they say that when good men and women do stay silent, we help evil. I, I think I've messed up the this, this saying, but... Um, I, know we, I know what you mean. You know, each and every single people might not know it. Please, it's a good saying. So, yeah, the saying is something when good men and women um, remain silent, we mm -hmm. enable evil. Um, evil every single, yeah. 
every single one of us as individuals, we don't have to be police. We don't have to be computer hackers. We don't have to be investigators. Um, every single one of us can affect positive change. And it goes like this, Dave. Not all of us are going to become investigators and do international stuff. And we need it not. We can volunteer our time at a local domestic violence shelter, a homeless shelter, a food bank, an agency that supports survivors of trafficking or abuse. If it's time or money, how much or little we have, it all helps. We can all get involved. We can all learn, pivoting back to number one, what are signs something is wrong? How can I spot it? And if we can spot it, we can take action. We can inform the police. We can inform agencies that something's wrong and someone needs help. So if we all get involved in the way that we can, however much or little we have, that is my third wish. I weight them all equally in importance, though, Dave. Yeah, that's fair points. And um, like I said, we are kind of like drawing to the to the end of the podcast. But maybe I, I should sort of say maybe you and I can set the agenda a little bit together. What we're going to talk about in the next one, if that's all right with you, Matt. Um, I'd, I'd like that to- sounds fantastic like people to know a little bit about a typical case, if you like, maybe a typical, if there is such a thing, a typical day. We'll, let's, we'll go for a day in the life of Matt, if you like. Just just make sure you're kind of, um, you do a load of kind of um, superhero things that day, would you? Um, and another thing would be kind of developing it a little bit further by talking about some of the hotspots in the world. Because I know that the internet is just global and so on and so forth. But when you get down to human trafficking and the bases of uh, organized crime, as well as the, the places where children are most vulnerable to, to, to be exploited on the slavery side, as well as the human trafficking side, then I think, you know, we're beginning to look at 160 podcasts rather than one. But I think we could develop it if that's okay with you, a little bit further in, in the next one. So perhaps you could finish by giving us a sort of a message, um, if you like, for those listening. Maybe talk a little bit, would you, about the finance into the banks, insurance companies, and all those that face people? Because I remember somebody talking to me in the past, I think it was Larry, who um, was talking about how important it is to train sometimes basic training for the frontline facing staff in industries that never would normally think about safeguarding situations, because that's where an awful lot of the clues um, rise to the surface. Is that a fair assessment? That, that's a very fair assessment. And uh, I, I don't directly do the crypto and blockchain and finance part. Oh. But what I will say oh. is that the ATII, we, we have like the finest at uh, both in terms of the human resource and the skill set. And we have generous sponsors that afford us access to some advanced tools to do those very things. So the financial training is and always will be very important because where there's crime, there's money. If there's no money, there's no crime. Or there, We know that. Further, and maybe for another day, um, every one of us, if we work in retail, if we work at a Walgreens or a Walmart or a pharmacy or a hotel or yeah. a busy fast food yeah. restaurant, tra uh, trafficking comes through those uh, places frequently. And it's just as important uh, that our frontline, for example, retail workers and hotel workers know the signs and they know how to report it. As well as the nighttime economy, I presume you, because you, that's something I focused on with the police before, like, you know, whether it's taxi drivers or fast food outlets at nighttime economy, 
And like you, that, that feeds, feeds in, doesn't it, to what you were saying. These are the sort of places that should be trained in some small yeah. way, at least, to, to yeah. recognize symptoms of distress. Taxi and rideshare drivers are huge. Uh, mm. Variety store, 24-7 gas stations. Yes, the nighttime economy. Because a lot of this, it doesn't all happen at night, but a lot of it does. Um, so it's it's very important. And the other thing, um, I think if I want to leave anyone on something, Dave, you there's a lot that's made a about... Nice, a minute, sorry, Larry. Have a nice long minute to tell people your position at the end. That would be lovely. I'll do it in 10 seconds. How's that? You've got a minute. Okay. People, okay. Um, it's a, people commonly make the assumption that these criminals are masterminds and they're hot, like super intelligent, they're geniuses and all of that. In in my experience, and I have a lot of hours in the field doing this, I have run into a couple like that, but the majority of them actually aren't more intelligent than us we are the intelligent ones like us on the call that want to affect change and help and be helpers are the intelligent ones and when we've been together we are the stronger ones full stop the bad guys are cunning but we are learning more and more about their playbook how they operate how they work where they are more and more and more of that so i want to leave everyone with this we're really making a lot of great progress we're still fairly early in this fight but this is a fight we can and we will win. As long as we stick together and good people take action, this is ours to lose, full stop. Okay. Matt Richardson, Director of Investigations and Child Safety at ATII, for now, for now, thank you very much indeed for the podcast and um, Godspeed. Thank you for having me, Dave. A pleasure.